Thank you, Pastor Justin. Good morning, Parkside Bible. Uh, It's so good to be with you all this morning on this Lord's Day. Uh, I know a lot of us, uh, we've got a lot going on, but I can't think of anything greater than to do on a Sunday than to gather with the saints. Uh, The Lord's Day is a reminder of what Jesus has done, uh, that he has conquered the grave once and for all, uh, that our sin has been defeated, that our greatest enemies, sin and death, have been destroyed. And we get to gather to remind each other of all that God has done for us in Christ. What a privilege to be able to gather with you this morning on this Lord's Day. Uh, As Pastor Justin mentioned, my name is Ben Lacey, and uh, I'm a church planter in Fort Worth, Texas. And now some of you are like, man, that's the Bible Belt. Why do they need more churches? Well, not every church is being faithful. Uh, And so we want to see more faithful churches uh, be a part of, uh, more churches established so they can be a part of the Great Commission in which Christ has set us apart for and displaying his nature and character to the world around us. So I'm so thankful that you would even consider, you Hoosiers would consider supporting Texans uh, and the work that, that uh, we've all been entrusted to, which is the Great Commission. So it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, I do hope you have your Bible open to Acts 11, uh, 19 through 26. That's going to be useful for our time together as we study uh, God's Word. It'll be 19 through 26. And this morning, before we begin, I have a, a question that I want you to consider. What are you known for? If you were to ask your spouse, your siblings, your parents, coworkers and classmates, employees, to sum you up, what would they say about you? What would they, what words would they use to describe you? Better yet, what is Parkside known for? If you were to ask the people of Brownsburg about Parkside Bible, what would they say about you? Because even without even realizing it, we're all seeking to be known for something. That's something we get from a very early age. Uh, for example, recently, I, I took my oldest daughter out to lunch. I try to do a, a daddy-daughter date uh, once a week, take one of our daughters out. I have four of them. Uh, so that's a lot of dates that we have on the calendar. Uh, but I, I was asking her different questions. And, and Nora, our oldest, has lived in two different places in her life. Texas, where she was born, and Washington, D.C. Now we're back in Texas. Just trying to make conversation, and I was like, Nora, what's the favorite place you've ever lived? And she looked at me like I was a fool, and she said, Texas. And I was like, okay, well, why are you so bold in saying that? I was like, why is that? She said, because I'm a Texan. <laughs> I was like, man, my discipleship is paying off. <laughs> Just raising a t- child in the way she should go. But even from an early age, we are all seeking to be known for something. I mean, just... Think about our society for a moment. We live in a society where individuals pride themselves in being known. They pride themselves in being known for a certain identity, being known for their gender, their race, their occupation, their political party. Whatever an individual feels is the most significant thing about themselves Well, they'll do whatever it takes to make sure you know that that's the most important thing about them. I mean, even just think about our corporations that we have in our country. It's not enough that they sell a certain product. They have to be known for, we are for this political movement or this agenda. That's why our world is filled with hashtags and flags and trends to say, I am this. But what about for us Christians? What should we be known for? Should we embrace the world's ever-transient categories? 
or should we be known for something that transforms and transcends our current cultural moment? Well, by God's grace, God's word is our guide on this topic. He's not left us alone. He he has told us in his word what we should specifically be known for. So, I have three things that I think from our passage we should be seeking to be known for. And this is my outline. So if you're a note taker, here's my outline up front. Uh, Point one is this. We should be known for preaching Christ. Every believer and every church should be known for preaching Christ. This is going to be verses 19 through 21. The second thing is we should be seeking to be known for investing in Christ's church. That's verses 22 through 24 of our passage. And the third thing and the final thing, known for Christ alone. That's verses 25 through 26. So three things that we all should be seeking to be known for, preaching Christ, investing in Christ's church, and known for Christ alone. Uh, Before we jump in, will you join me in prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together around his word? Father in heaven, we come before you, grateful that our sins have have been forgiven in Christ. Uh, We thank you that not only have you saved us, but you've given us your word to guide us in this life as we wait for you. Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish its purpose now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get point one now. Be known for preaching Christ. So look at your Bible and let's just read and I'll explain. As Justin just read, verses 19 through 21. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now we have jumped and parachuted right into the middle of Acts and kind of the end of the chapter. So I want to give us some context and I want to assume you know nothing about the book of Acts. Uh, So we see at the very beginning in Acts chapter 1 that Luke says that he is writing this letter Basically, he says a kind of a response to his first letter. Look at Luke 1, verse 1. He says, you know, my first letter, O Theophilus, I, I taught you or began to write about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And guess what Acts is? What's well, a continuation of what Jesus continued to do through his spirit and through his disciples? Then he begins to tell us what Jesus had instructed his disciples to do. Uh, we see that he promises that he is going to ascend, but after his ascension, he is going to give them the Holy Spirit. And that they have a job description, which is found in Acts 1.8. This is the thesis for the entire book. This is what Luke writes, Jesus saying to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the book of Acts was written to help us understand how did the gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, the first nine chapters of Acts is teaching us how it kind of went locally around Jerusalem. Well, starting in verse 10, Luke is beginning to tell us how the gospel went to the ends of the earth. Maybe you've read that before. That's where Peter is on the roof and he's praying. And he sees a vision from heaven and he hears the voice of the Lord where he sees this sheet coming down and there's these animals that Peter has been told not to eat. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And and Peter is, again, hard-headed. I have a lot of similarities with Peter. He's hard-headed, like, no, I'm not going to do that, Lord. The Lord says it three times. He says, what I have called clean, do not call common. And then he is 
uh, met up with some people from Cornelius, this Gentile, to say, come and, and teach us about the Lord Jesus. And Peter is confused. He's supposed to stay away from Gentiles, but he follows the Lord and he preaches the gospel. And a first Gentile family believes. This was so radical and transformational that when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, they're totally confused. What are you doing with these Gentiles? And we see in Acts 11, this is Peter's response, eleven seventeen or 18. You can look there in your Bible now. Peter, as he reports to the church, says this, Acts eleven seventeen through 18. If then the Lord gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Brothers and sisters, this is wonderful. This is how we came to faith in Christ, because the gospel was not just for the Jews, That when Jesus died, he wasn't dying for just a specific people group in a specific place. No, he was dying to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That when Jesus died on the cross, he was looking for us, a people far away. This is good news for all of us, that God has saved a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And because Christ returned, he is doing it still. What a gift and encouragement for us to think on this morning. Well, our passage this morning basically is a continuation to teach us how the gospel went to the ends of the earth and what that actually looked like. So we see here in verse 19, look there now in your Bible, it says this in verse 19, that there was a group of believers who scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Well, that's mentioned in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He stands up to these people who had murdered Christ. And he tells them, he makes a defense of saying, no, he is the Messiah. The Old Testament is pointing to him. And you're accountable to how you respond to him. Well, their response was to kill this man, to seek to silence his message. And because of this persecution, Christians began to scatter. Luke records that they went to a few different locations, to Cyprus and Cyrene and Antioch. They scattered and they went. But did you notice what happened when they scattered? Did they stop talking about Jesus? No, they continued to talk about Jesus wherever they went. And initially, they only spoke to Jews. But there were some men who I love who probably hadn't known this yet about what happened with Peter. They start to speak to Hellenists, meaning non-Jewish Greeks. And they began to share the gospel with them. Their following Jesus had encouraged them and emboldened them to share the gospel with those who were far away. Are you noticing what's happening here in Luke, or in Acts 11 here? That the Lord used a tragedy and the death of his servant to send the gospel around the world. That God used in his strange and mysterious providence the death of a faithful brother, Stephen, to scatter believers hundreds of miles away to places that people would have never probably gone so that they would proclaim the gospel to those who were far from God. God, in his strange providence, and the calling of a saint home to himself, was drawing sinners to himself. God used death to bring life. The persecution that was aimed at stopping the message about Jesus only led to the spread of the message about Jesus to more people and in more places. 
So brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what challenges you face in your life. But I hope this encourages you to never doubt the faithfulness of God. To never trust your circumstances more than you trust God's word. God's word is always more trustworthy than how we feel. God's word is always more trustworthy than our own assessment of how our life is going. Have you ever considered that God might be using the circumstances of your life for his own glory and the good of other people? Have you might considered that God might be using what might be seen as or perceived as evil in your life to bring about good in other people's life? It's very much of God to use tragedy to bring triumph. I mean, consider the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you make sense of the only sinless human to ever live on the earth? The Lord Jesus Christ being put forth to live the perfect life, to fulfill God's law, and yet being crucified. I mean, can you imagine being the disciples who had followed Jesus for three years? They had thought, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one of God. This is the one who's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And then he dies. Can you imagine the conversations that the disciples might have had that evening? Have we believed a lie? Has God failed to be faithful to his promises? Oh, no, brothers and sisters. God used the enemy's weapon of death to bring life. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can now draw near to God and have our sins forgiven. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, do not be surprised that God might be using the trials and the temptations and the afflictions and the sorrows of your life to give you a platform to teach and preach the gospel to those who are far from the Lord Jesus. Don't be surprised that the Lord sends difficulties your way as a means for you to be faithful to him and in your faithfulness, There might be those around you who are far from the Lord who might understand more clearly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As I was reading this passage, I was reminded of my grandfather. Uh, He has, for years, had a, a skin cancer that keeps coming back on his face in the same place. And so he's been going to the same doctor, and as he's gone to the same doctor to have this removed, he keeps sharing the gospel with this doctor. Until recently, he said, look, the Lord keeps giving this thing to me, so you'll come to faith in Christ. So why don't you go ahead and get on with it for the best of us? And I just love that, seeing the the kind of the silver lining, if you will, the beauty of God's providence, even in the midst of something that is inconvenient for him. I mean, think about the saints throughout history who have been given trial and affliction and yet use that as a platform for the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about our sister Joni Erickson Tata, who's paralyzed at 18, She had every right and probably our minds to be bitter towards God, to even hate God. And what has she done with her life, being paralyzed? All she's done is talked about God's faithfulness all of her days. I mean, there's Christians throughout history that you can imagine. Think about Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her first husband at 29, Jim, who was martyred as a missionary. And then she marries again 13 years later, and that husband dies from cancer. And all she does is continue to talk about how God is faithful. How many saints were encouraged Because Joni and Elizabeth did not waste their suffering, did not waste their trials. They used it as a mean to say, you know what, Lord, whether in this suffering or in my victories in life, I'm just going to be faithful to tell other people about you and what you've done. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you, be faithful with what God gives you, regardless of how difficult it might be. And I don't want to make light of your pain. I don't want to make light of the difficulties that you might be facing, but I would encourage you to lift your eyes beyond your suffering 
to the God who sent his son to die for your sins. If he can save you from your sins, he can do anything in your life with anything he sends your way. Trust him. Walk in obedience with him. Maybe you prayed the prayer that Lord Jesus prayed in the garden. Lord, let this cup pass, if it be your will, but nevertheless not my will, but yours. Maybe pray, God, if whether for my sanctification or someone else's salvation, whatever you give me in my life, cause me to be faithful for the glory of your name and the good of your people. I love that the Lord scattering these people sent those far away so that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ would be heard by more people. I'd be curious also if there's non-Christians among us today, those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you considered that God might be sending afflictions and trials your way to drive you to the end of yourself, straight into the arms of Jesus? If you're here today and you're feeling like I've tried everything this world has to offer and I'm empty and I'm dissatisfied and I'm clueless for why I'm here, oh, you're in the right place today. There's no better place to be than to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, the best thing to do at the end of the service is ask somebody near you, hey, I'm not a Christian, I want to know how to follow Jesus. Talk to Justin, talk to myself. That would bring nobody any greater joy than for you to share and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. Because I can promise you this, there's nothing in this life that can bring hope and happiness other than Christ. So trust, turn, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that these men, they were faithful to preach the gospel wherever the Lord had sent them, no matter who the Lord put in their way. It's an encouragement for us that wherever the Lord takes us to be faithful to preach the gospel to those who are near us. I mean, there are often times that I'm deceived that some of the people in my life are too far gone for the Lord to redeem them. But if you're ever tempted to believe that, just look in the mirror. Because if he could save you, he can save anybody. So who might God be putting in your life that might be very far gone in your opinion, that the Lord has put them in your life so that you might share the gospel with them? Never doubt God's ability to save people, even in the deepest, darkest pits of sin. Trust the Lord, proclaim the gospel to those who are in front of you. And if the Lord might call you away from this place to another place, another city, another job, just keep sharing about Jesus and keep watching God work. Keep trusting him with that. Park said, I pray that this, you would be the kind of church that faithfully preaches the gospel wherever God sends you. That you would be the kind of church that continues to love and share the gospel in this community and beyond. That leverages the hardships and the trials of this life and the afflictions for the good of other people and the glory of God. Because that's what these believers did in Acts chapter 11. God took them to places and around people they probably didn't want to be near, and yet they were faithful to declare the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were known for preaching Christ wherever God had sent them. But they were not only known for preaching Christ, they were known for investing in Christ's church. Investing in Christ's church. I want you to look down at verses 22 through 24. Follow along as I read. It says this, After these people had come to faith in the Christ, and the Lord had blessed their efforts in sharing the gospel, the great number believed and turned to the Lord. It says this in verse 22, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So we see what happens is the church in Jerusalem gets wind of what's happening in Antioch, and they want to know what's going on. 
either to make sure the gospel is being rightly preached or to encourage the already faithful preaching that's been done. So they send Barnabas. We'll read about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. You can go read about him. And there, Luke writes that he's known as a son of encouragement. He was from Cyprus, as some of these men were, were from. And Barnabas wasn't just a son of encouragement in name. That's who he was in his life. He was an encouraging brother. We read later in uh, Acts chapter 9 that Barnabas is there in Jerusalem, and the newly converted Saul comes up, and all these Christians are like, who is this guy? Like, we're not going to be around him. They basically abandoned Saul, and it was Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who saw the grace of God in, in Saul's life, and he takes him to the apostles. I love that Jerusalem did not send a man who was ill-equipped and unqualified. They did not send a skeptic to suffocate the work. Brothers and sisters, there's enough skepticism going on in the world today. Let's see the grace of God in other people's lives, and let's rejoice in it. Let's be marked as people who rejoice in that. I love that Barnabas was a qualified man to be sent out. I just have a question. I asked this at Sunday school for the men in this room. Are you this kind of man? Would other people around you say, yeah, you're a son of encouragement? Could, could Parkside send you out to other churches in this area or to Texas and those churches be encouraged by you and how you know the Lord and instruct people to continue to follow the Lord? Parkside, this is a great thing you should pray for on a regular basis, that Jesus would raise up more qualified men who would not only be a blessing to this church, but churches all over the state and all over this nation and all over this world. We should pray for that on a regular basis because that is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ that we should ask for and pray so that it might be a blessing to this church and many others. Now Barnabas had been sent by this church to Jerusalem to check out what was going on. But my question is, why did Jerusalem even care? Why was Jerusalem concerned about a church hundreds of miles away? What was going on with them? I mean, when Jesus ascended, he didn't say, hey, Jerusalem, you're responsible not only for your church, but all the other churches around, so make sure that it's going okay. Why did they do this? Because it's a local church's responsibility to be concerned about the health and well-being of other churches around them. This is what Christians do. They're concerned not only about what's going on inside of their walls, but they're concerned about other believers in other places making sure that they're cared for and spiritually fed, that they have what they need to continue to walk in faith and obedience for the Lord Jesus. I mean, Trinity River Baptist Church would not exist had it not been for a group of churches in Texas being concerned for believers in Fort Worth. It would not be in existence today. But there was a group of pastors in churches who kept sending people to Fort Worth, and those members would say, we don't know where to go to church. We don't hear expositional preaching. We're not hearing the gospel preached. We're not seeing members cared for, and we don't know where to go to church. There's members that are churches that would send people to Fort Worth. They would move there, and these people would eventually leave because they couldn't find a faithful church. Had it not been for these faithful churches to say, we're concerned not only about what's happening in our city, but in other cities, this would not exist. And brothers and sisters, had it not been for a parkside coming alongside of us, I'm not sure it would continue to exist. Your willingness to be generous is so encouraging to me. I mean, you don't even know me. You don't even know our church. Many of you have not even been to Texas, and yet you're eager and willing to pray about and give towards this new work in Fort Worth, Texas. You may never come to our place. A lot of our people may never know you by name, but the Lord Jesus does. And you're being faithful what he's entrusted to you. And this is not just something new for you. I've heard last night this is part of your history. This is what you do. You help plant churches, not only in uh, Indianapolis, but around. That is so encouraging. 
I would only exhort you to continue to be concerned not only about what happens in this building. Yes, be concerned about that. Also, think about other churches. As y'all just did this morning, continue to pray for other churches. That is such a blessing to know that you're praying for us and know we will continue to pray for you. Continue to be faithful to the area that God has placed you in, but also continue to pray and think about ways to be strategic about the gospel going forward. If you think about investments, if you watch the stock market, it will drive you crazy. Like if you're thinking about retiring soon, just don't look at the stock market. It's just not going to encourage you. But you think about what's worthy of investing in. Jesus said that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Those odds sound pretty amazing to me. So I would put all my investment that I can, not only money but people, into that thing that will produce eternal rewards. Parkside may not exist forever until Christ returns. It may, I pray that it does. But your investment in other churches will continue to live on. I pray the Lord will continue to cause you to be faithful. Thank you for thinking beyond this. I pray the Lord will raise up many more Parksides who are concerned about health and well-being of other churches around. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Jerusalem sets a perfect example of this for being concerned about other churches and supporting other churches, faithful gospel preaching churches in other areas. Uh, We see here in verse 23 when they, they sent Barnabas, what did he find when he got there? You notice that verse 23? Look down at your Bible now. What did Barnabas find when he got there? It says this, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Again, Jerusalem did not send a skeptic. They sent someone who was going to be easily edified. Does that mark you as a Christian? You're seeking to be easily edified? When you come to church on Sunday, you're just looking for just like low-hanging fruit. Oh, that's so encouraging, that's so encouraging. That's the kind of people we want to be. Easily edified. And that was Barnabas. He was encouraged by the work. But what does it mean to see the grace of God? What does it mean to see the grace of God? Well, I think we get a clue what that means because he says this. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus with steadfast purpose. So seeing the grace of God was seeing people transfer their loyalty from self and from the world to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see anyone get in those baptismal waters... That is evidence of God's grace. We should never become numb to seeing people be baptized. We should never become numb to seeing people come to faith in Christ. We should never become numb to seeing believers die to sin for the sake of following Jesus. Because that's nothing in us that's causing that to happen. That is only the grace of God within us that's causing that to take place. And I love what's amazing about this passage here is we'll see. If you read on the book of Acts... Antioch doesn't become a footnote. Antioch receives a blessing and support from Jerusalem, and they themselves become this kind of church. They were concerned not only about themselves, but others. We'll see you in a few moments. And there's a lot of talk right now about revival. Many people want to think about revival, and how do we see this happen in our own day? And I think that's a good aspiration. We want to see God move in our own day. But do you notice something here? There wasn't anything crazy that happened in Acts chapter 11. What happens? People, where they went, they preached God's word, and people came to faith in Christ, and those people were discipled. That is not something to to kind of blink an eye at. God uses ordinary means to display his glory among us. 
So if you want to see God move among you, just use the ordinary means of gathering with the church on Sunday, preaching his word, singing his praises, helping other people follow Jesus, and just watch what God does among us. That in and of itself is a miracle, and we should rejoice in that because that is what happened here. They preached God's word. They loved God's people. They denied sin. They walked in faithfulness and obedience to one another. Uh, they helped and encouraged one another in their, their, their walk with the Lord. It was no special formula. It was very ordinary. But God takes ordinary means, and he does extraordinary things through those people. Jerusalem's concern for the believers in Antioch led to believers being built up and encouraged. And we see in 24 that even more people came to faith in Christ. As I mentioned, that Antioch doesn't become a footnote. If we look down for a second, I want you to see here in verse 28, actually verse 29 of Acts 11. It's not a part of our text this morning. But they're told right after this that there's a famine that's coming all over the world. And what is the response of Antioch? Look in verse 29. So the disciples determined, they're in Antioch, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by hand of Barnabas and Saul. So the church who had received a gift from Jerusalem doesn't just hoard it. What do they do? They become a sending church and a supporting church. They're not only concerned about what's happening in Antioch, they're concerned about what's happening in Judea and other places, and they want to support the work there. You'd also look over to Acts 13. Acts 13, you see this there, that Paul and Saul, or excuse me, Barnabas and Saul are there at Antioch. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. In verse 2, the Holy Spirit says to the believers there in Antioch, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they, meaning the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. Isn't that amazing? Here is this group of people in Antioch who are new believers, and yet they're raising money to send support for believers who need help and relief, and now they're sending missionaries. Why did they do this? Because this is why Jesus has created the local church. To receive support from others, to become mature in Christ, and then to send support and send workers out. And if God gives us life and opportunity, this is what we'll do at Trinity River Baptist Church. We will take your generous investment that you've given to us, Lord willing, and we will do everything we can to preach God's word faithfully, to disciple those who God has placed in our care, to raise up and train men, to send them out to be encouragers of the work that God's doing in other local churches and around, to raise up men who will go be pastors and preachers and church planners, to raise up couples who will go be missionaries all around the world, and we want to do that until the Lord comes or till he takes us home. That's what we want to give our life to. We want to take these investments that God has entrusted to us and seek the health and well-being of other churches in other places around us. That's what we're going to get after, and that's what you're investing in, is a church that is a reproducing church, not only concerned about itself, but concerned about the gospel going forward uh, in our city and beyond. What would keep Parkside from continuing to be a church like that? What might Satan be tempting you to do or to believe to not lo no longer be a church like that? Oh, I pray that the Lord would keep you unified, that you would continue to be generous and outward facing uh, for the glory of God and the good of other believers in other places. Let's pray. Would you all pray for us in this effort that we would be this kind of church? And I promise we'll continue to pray for Parkside, that you all would continue to be like this as well. So these believers, they were known for preaching Christ. Uh, they were known for supporting Christ's work. But they were also known for Christ alone. 
known for Christ alone. We see this in verses 25 through 26. You'll look there now and follow along as I read. Acts eleven twenty-five 25 through 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he would brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. And in Antioch, excuse me, the disciples were first called Christians. So we see in Acts 9 that uh, Barnabas, you see, he ends up going with Paul to, to Tarsus. Uh, that's where he is. And now he comes back and he's getting more work. Needs more help, more elders to help preach and teach God's word to these people, to see them be discipled, to see them grow up in Christ, to see them put their sin to death. And we see that their work was not in vain. Did you notice the little detail at the end of verse 26? What were these believers first called in Antioch? They were called Christians. Now, the way it reads, especially in the Greek, this wasn't some name they took on themselves. It was actually a term that those in Antioch had given to those believers. And it actually reads, they were called Christ's people. Now, what in the world were these people doing that marked them off from the rest of people in Antioch as Christ's people? Well, I think there's three things they did. There's three things that I think are clear from the text and throughout the book of Acts they did. What marked them off was what they believed and taught. What they believed and taught. They believed and declared that Jesus was the anointed one of God, the one whom God put forward as a substitute in the place of sinners, and that he raised him from the dead for their justification, and that whoever repents of their sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ have life. They only believed it. They, they taught that the only way to be made right with, with God was through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they believed, and that's what they taught. They were marked for what they believed and what they taught, as we mentioned earlier. Not only this, I think it's also how they loved one another. So their, their loyalty to Jesus was not merely lip service. It revealed itself and how they loved one another. I, I think we often, we, we forget this, but this is so crucial. What did Jesus say will mark off his disciples as his people in the world? John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says this, they will know you're my disciples by what? By your love for one another. Now I want you to, to know a little bit of a background about Antioch. This was a mega city at the time. So Antioch was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. Almost 500,000 people lived there. And there were people from the nations who had come to Antioch. So people who were getting saved and following Jesus and gathering with the church were very diverse. Different race and different backgrounds and different religious history and different upbringings. This church was prime for dysfunction and disunity. It was ready to implode on its own. A bunch of sinners from a bunch of different backgrounds were being brought into church, and the only thing they had in common was the Lord Jesus Christ. But does Antioch say, look at those people who are dysfunctional. Look at these people who are doing X, Y, and Z. No, they were known for Christ and his work and his word. They loved one another, and their love for one another displayed something true about Jesus. If you've not read the book, I would encourage you to grab a copy. It's called The Compelling Community. The Compelling Community is written by a couple of pastors at Capitol Hill. And in the book, they share a story uh, about a member of Capitol Hill Baptist Church who I know. His name is Bill. Um, and in that, 
It shares about Bill. So Bill, when he was in his 60s, first came to Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Now, Capitol Hill Baptist Church is like five blocks from the Capitol. It's right there close. And so you get a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life that come in. Bill was a professor at Harvard, and he taught on the madness of crowds. Basically, uh, what he would do is he would just kind of teach on why people gather and kind of the psychology about examining the phenomenon in New England, the witch hunts and urban legends and financial pa- panics. But a, a career studying crowds did not prepare him for what he experienced inside of a local church. He had no concept for how Christians who were different from one another loved one another. And this is what Bill says. He says this, It was striking from the first moments I came through the door. It was clear that something special was going on. The relationship seemed not so much unnatural as highly uncommon. So I was introduced to the idea of a healthy church, a concept, a concept that had before eluded me. So it's through the power of this church's love for one another, a bunch of different people who have nothing in common loving one another through this church's witness, this brother Bill, who was lost in his sins, eventually came to faith in Christ. Yes, it was the preaching. Yes, it was the teaching. But it was something about how these people who, if you took the gospel outside of that group and took it away, would no longer exist. That was, it struck him as different. This is what Jesus calls us to, and I think this is exactly what Antioch did. See, this is the pattern of Acts. They loved one another, and they cared for one another regardless of their differences. They bore one another's burdens and sorrows. They rejoiced at each other's happiness, and they were there for each other through thick and through thin, whatever that the world might throw at them. So what marked these people off as Christ people is not only what they taught and believed, it was how they loved for one another, and also, I think, it's how they lived in the world. How they lived in the world. I think they simply lived out Barnabas' exhortation in verse 23 when he says, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I think their lives in every circumstance, whether they're in their marriage and their parenting or at their jobs or in their schools, it marks them off as just radically different. There's different people altogether. That whatever they did, it was just shaped and influenced by the Lord Jesus Christ. So members of Parkside, What does your life on Monday say about your faith in Jesus? Are the things that you have professed today about who Jesus is, are they evident in your life throughout the week? Would the people in your office or in your class or in your neighborhood, would they be surprised today to find out that you're a Christian? They'd be surprised to know that you believe that the only way to have your sins forgiven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's a shame if that's true for any of us. That should be the most significant thing about us and about who we are is our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. What Christ has done for us should shape every area of our lives. What Christ has done for us should inform everything that we do. There should be no confusion in this city and in Fort Worth, Texas, about what it means to follow Jesus. There should be no confusion because we make it clear with our teaching and in our lives. The believer, or the the people in this church who don't know Jesus, should be able to look at the members of this church, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, and get a clear picture of who God is, how to be made right with him, and how to live in his world. Did you know that's why Jesus has you here, in this place, at this time? That's why Jesus has us in Fort Worth? So that we might display something about himself, to those who are far from him. I mentioned this earlier, but if you want to know the reason why 
why God created the church, that's in Ephesians 3.10. Ephesians 3.10. Go read that later. There, Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 that God has broken down the wall of hostility through Jews and Gentiles. He's brought them together in this church. And what is God doing through people who don't have anything in common but Jesus? He is displaying his wisdom and character in the heavenly places. So the non-Christians around this building should be able to look at your life together and learn something about who God is and what he's created them for. We should pray that we would be those kind of people, that our relationships would declare true things about God and his love for us and his plan for the world. But this is where you have to be very careful. Until Christ comes or he calls you home, Satan will do everything in his power to get you to be known by something else, to be known for something else, for your career, for your hobbies, for your, you fill in the blank, for your loyalties in this world, for your political opinions. He will do everything he can to get your eyes off of Jesus and on to the things of this world. Let it not be so. Let it not be said of Parkside that we took our eyes off what is the most important thing. Let it not be said of Trinity River Baptist Church that we took our eyes off the most important thing. May we pray and may we seek after to be exactly what Paul said he was trying to do with his life, that whether by his death or his life, only that Christ would be glorified in his body. Would you pray that for this church? Would you seek to be that in this church, that only the name of Jesus would get glory? That people would look at this church and they would begin to understand how to be made right with God, how to have their sins forgiven, and how to live in this world. Brothers and sisters, we will pray to that end. That you, by your love for one another and your life together, would teach people what it means to follow Jesus. I pray that many people will be standing around the throne on the last day because of the faithfulness of this church. Let's pray.